I'm Becky Forsyth, and this is the Icelandic Arts Centre podcast out there. And I'm Thorde Tinnaseradóttir, co-host of this podcast, where we will delve into the Icelandic art scene in conversations with artists and other professionals in the field. This episode is a takeover episode. We've done this once before uh, with uh, another intern working for the Icelandic Arts Center, but this time it's going to be an intern that is named Teresa Eirunhof, and she is here with me in the studio. And we're going to lead you through an episode of field recordings from performances and conversations Teresa has been having with people throughout the Sequences Art Festival. And Sequences is a festival that I direct in my role for the Icelandic Art Center. And it's been quite a ride. It's been a really big moment for this artist-run grassroots festival, um, definitely at a changing point for the festival. But we've had a group of amazing curators curating the whole thing um, selecting both the visual art being exhibited in four venues of the festival, the National Gallery of Iceland, the House of Collections the Nordic House Klingobang and the Living Art Museum and the latter two being two of the founding members of Sequences Art Festival alongside with the Icelandic Art Center, which is also a founding member. And the festival was started in 2006. And the exhibitions stem from kind of a surrounding darkness, coming from a feeling that the world is crumbling in our hands, while a strong wind blows the last of its remains even further, um, referencing how, although the environmental threat we all face can also seem invisible or how we cannot see the ever-growing threat of the ecological destruction just as we cannot see the potential new directions and life forms rising from the ruins of the old world. And I think with the exhibitions which this episode won't be dedicated to, the exhibitions kind of capture within these four chapters that reference water, that reference soil and the subterrain, also the metaphysical, they capture a lot of different beings, a lot of different things with the kind of 
lack of the human figure being present, but actually then all of the performances that are were in the festival, they really capture this sense of darkness and 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 feelings of being human, which is a really poetic dialogue with the exhibitions that themselves don't have the human figure in the foreground, but actually revolve around mythologies and nature and and the human imagination. So without further ado, I will now introduce Terra, uh, which is a nickname for Teresa Eirunho, which has been discovering life mostly through acting and performance art and body and empiricism. Uh, Tera is an amazing person that came along for an internship in sequences. Uh, she's an actress and so much more. She's got an MGA at Prague's Academy of Performing Arts and most of her interest is in kind of this beyond human perception of life, nature and relationships to other beings and non-beings, which is really uh, fitting for the concepts and curatorial framework of the sequences, exhibitions and performances. And just to mention before, um, Karen Kivirak and Maria Arusso and Steno Giave and Marka Agu are the curators of this iteration of sequences that just came to a close last weekend with a, a non-funding performance by Young Boy Dancing Group, um, which happens to be also the artwork of the month. And Terra Yul introduces us and the listeners to the performance and what it left you feeling and what, what it kind of meant to you. Um, but so just to run through this episode, it's going to be a bit different. It is an episode where Teresa has been interviewing three out of a lot of performers that have been performing at the festival. But it is these three performers that did these kind of high production, big performances at the festival. And it is Theo Alaruna. Johan Rosenberg and Nati Nukanen. And Nati performed her work in Reykjavik Art Museum. And Johan performed in Tomarime, which is an experimental theater space that has been recently founded with support from the city of Reykjavik. Um, and it's an experimental space um, and it's located uh, kind of you know, in contrast to the Reykjavik Art Museum Harbor House space, it's uh, located a bit further out of the city by the coastline. And yeah, in this episode, we're going to run through these like performances. And Tera, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience and like just like a bit more informally before we dive into listening to these field recordings and your conversations with artists. So hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, I was really lucky to uh, help the performance setting up the 
their stages and like stage management. And uh, we became kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it friends, but closer. So it was just beautiful inside view to the work, not to be just a part of the audience, but be really in the part of the creating process because they always had to adapt their performances for a certain venue, Mm -hmm. which always makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's it from my work I've done. Yeah, Yeah, and exactly as you said, like I I really respect this uh, curatorship in a way that they brought the human body into the contrast with the exhibitions through the performances because mm-hmm. in all of the performances, the physicality uh, of the potential of the human beings was really present. Mm-hmm. In some was more in a dialogue with the spoken world, mm-hmm. but not in everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, of um, sound design and music. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially with Natty's performance, like really the construction of the language and the perception of the human body, which we will talk more about in the interview. Mm-hmm. But uh, even then, the Natty's and uh, Theo's performances created beautiful dialogue, mm-hmm. even though there is a paradox that they were pretty often performing on the same festivals, but they actually never seen their production. Mm-hmm. So, but there is many, like, and especially with these two, which were picked up for the for the festival, they're both dealing with the memories, and uh, but both of them from a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, call it like the somatic fiction. So it's more like how we store the memories in our bodies, and it's much more personal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Natty was more white. She was more asking the more global questioning, more intellectual mm-hmm. from the perception of this like anthropocentric and post-anthropocentric mm-hmm. world. So these two, if the audience had a chance to see both of it, was really creating like beautiful and really interesting dialogue. Yeah. And then Young Boy, there, there was, it was a closing, like a huge production yesterday. So I think we all who have been there still have like a strong emotion out of it because it was really radical and it was really physical and it was really moving and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even though for some more, maybe I would call it sensitive people might be at some time, but maybe not very comfortable to watch some things, mm-hmm. how to deal with the human bodies. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of love and community feeling behind that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and... Um, and Johan, he really invited us in his really build up, even scenographically, like a specific world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it was, um, it was, um, yeah, beautiful and really wide um, introduction into, uh, I think, like uh, now the, I would maybe say, like a really new forms of the, of the performance arts and the theater. Mm-hmm. And also it being, like, sequences being in, like, sequences being uh, originally a real-time art festival, you know, like having these uh, performances and, like, really current people who are performing is, like, also quite important to the festival too, you know, even though going into more exhibition-heavy 
and like longer exhibition periods with like object based things and museum loans like still like sustaining this dialogue with re- real time based art which is basically just you know referencing happenings and we've had Carly Sneeman and Joan Jonas be kind of honorary artists of the festival in prior editions and then kind of having so many like yeah it would take like a whole day to go through mm-hmm. all of it but I guess we're just very proud of of having expanded in such a way and being able to still stand guard of the kind of the root value of the festival at the same time. But I think we shouldn't have it too long this time because we've got a lot of ground to cover. We've got three interviews, we've got multiple field recordings from the performances here in Reykjavik. And it might be interesting for listeners that have been to any one of the performers' uh, performances before that maybe you can hear that some things sound different from when you experienced it in your hometown or where you were when you saw it yourself. But I think that's also another thing, definitely working with all of the artists uh, on a production level as well as being an audience member you could definitely sense this excitement about being in a new place, performing for a new audience. And I guess that also captures uh, the beauty of performance art compared to the theater. That often with a theater, you know, you can tell your mom to go to a show you went to and she'll probably see exactly the same thing as you experienced. But with this, we had with all of them, Nati, Theo and Johan, we had two nights and each night was so unique and so different to the first yeah. one. And I think it might be interesting also to say that Johan actually uh, was performing in all of the three, yeah. <laughs> all of the three performances you just mentioned. Uh, it was uh, with Natty, uh, they do it, I think, mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with uh, Young Boy Dancing, mm-hmm. it was just coincidence of mm-hmm. uh, some events we had to cover. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of like a star of mm-hmm. the festival, being in a lot of productions and yeah. doing amazing work. So it was also really interesting to see him as an artist, mm-hmm. uh, how he works with mm-hmm. a different uh, performance and uh, performers and uh, how he how he as he is really open person and beautiful personality mm-hmm. so he's really uh, collaborative and uh, yeah and amazing obviously in improvisation and mm-hmm. like uh, just going full heart mm-hmm. to to assist other other artists so yeah. and, I, and one more mm-hmm. thing to to mention for uh, for the uh, spectators or the visitors that all of these um, all of the performers I talked to they were really praising the Icelandic audience <laughs> for being really open and really generous. And yeah, when they were there, that they really were there. And it was just like amazing uh, mm-hmm. experience for them. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to say it because, yeah, I felt the same. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're okay. We're quite open. Yeah. But yeah, I guess on that note, it's just a, a good ground to go into a field recording you made from Johan's performance in Tomarime in Skellenes in Iceland 
Um, and you recorded this just during the performance. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear different kind of clips and bits. And then we'll dive straight into the interview with you and Johan. Are there any final words you want to say about this field recording? It was fun. <laughs> but it's, it's then it's interesting always to, um, to see or hear performance art taped because mm -hmm. the live presence is just the main thing mm -hmm. in a performance arts or in the life culture mm -hmm. in general. So I think it's super interesting and it's also what we got with uh, in the talks then later with Natty. It's how uh, where our imagination goes when we just listen to the things and mm -hmm. how is it then when you see it and how you then name the performance for yourself in your special vocabulary or your sensitivity or your emotional uh, field. So, yeah. That's so we'll... We'll introduce you now to Johan Rosenberg's performance Traps performed at Sequences Art Festival. Uh, it's only gonna catch a glimpse of what it actually is, but it maybe will give you useful insight and spark an interest for this emerging up-and-coming artist that has been doing great things in Estonia and abroad. Dear listeners, enjoy! <laughs> you said that the first part of the performance is usually you have some structure but it's not like set up choreography yeah so you really also develop it with the dialogue yes I developed the, the dialogue directly through their the audience body that I'm like re registering like for myself yeah mm -hmm. and can you Say something more about the material, the physical material you have been. That I've been working with. That you, you've been working mm -hmm. with. I mean, the stage design and mm -hmm. why paper? Uh -huh. Why this kind of glue? Uh -huh. And then you have the flies there, which are not alive here <laughs> in Iceland, but you said yeah. they are actually alive mm -hmm. when you have it behind the freeze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, about the space, like how it it really started was that the same idea of how to make like constantly changing room and there is something about this body that is performing and moving that I was always imagining this sort of like a, if we're speaking about identity I wanted to bring in like a, a term like a liquid identity that is like you know water it's constantly taking different forms or in desert this, dunes, for or, example. Yeah, well, or 
in the work there are also these water gel pearls mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is actually a form of a solid, of the solid water. Mm. So uh, why paper? It's mainly because paper is really the material that uh, absorbs water. Mm -hmm. uh, before the performance we are like watering the, the walls and in the first like 30 to 40 to 40 minutes, the shapes that the water is creating is also changing. So the whole space could be in a constant, like subtle transformation. Uh, because I, I feel unconsciously it, 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 it influences us all uh, how we are there. Yeah. Mm. And like basically, the, the flies is also coming in from the same point of view of, uh, if I was in Siberia, I was there in one house completely alone and I was writing some sort of text of like, I usually always do this automatic writing, whatever is in the in your consciousness that you just, just write and write and write and write. And for a whole week, my only companion were the flies. So. It was like somehow there was something like even romantic, apocalyptic, like feeling about it that I'm really in this, in the middle of nowhere, and the flies really became such a present companion for me over there. Who like I was really like I don't know. Uh, I, I guess the lonesome body like uh, at one point it really starts to create this sort of like like a different narratives or different friends even even for themselves in in order to 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 find this sort of yeah i don't know closeness or poesia or art even mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i love the the concept of also flies to bring them in because they are like this sort of like a multi-organism they are all being born uh, with, what's the word in English? It's, it, it, it's like the bees, you know, they, mm -hmm. they all need each other as a whole, yeah, yeah, I, but they exist as individuals. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think the movement material that I'm also, also bringing there, it's like I'm always imagining myself as the sort of like a multiple, multiple body that if I gain engage with the audience I like I, I duplicate myself on them mm -hmm. so this other me starts to rebound in the space and starts to create like different narratives so that's why I was bringing in the, the flies also that it seemed like they could be like a part of me or like mm -hmm. mm. so if I would bring you like a personal narrative, uh, the whole first part of the performance, as it is constantly more liquid changing, the position of audience is also like a bit unclear. You know, are you part of it? Are you observing like a crime scene? Are you just an obstacle there for me to move on to another thing? So the whole the dynamic and form is constantly changing, transforming, evolving. Uh, 
um, then I will disappear into the vulva of the space. And I'm being born again with this much more longer hair, strange long plastic fingers. I wanted to create the feeling that now it's been like already, you know, 20 years has again passed and I'm still back here. And the results, um, how I build up the character, it is a new character that has come from the same source, of course. But uh, I really wanted to bring in this sort of like a nasty theater Führer. Spotlight, frontality, boom, direct, the dialogue, uh, mm, who like demands their own space. It's my birthday party. You are only here for me to really bring this sort of, uh, this, this character is screaming to audience constantly like, get your asses up, get them here back on the podiums. Yeah, sing the uh, song, the birthday. Exactly, the exactly. Birthday so I really want to make this sort of shift and bring maybe also some sort of philosophical thought of what can happen with a person who is trapped with themselves and they cannot anymore look anywhere else than only me, myself and I. Uh, you know, it really, humanity has shows us also that it brings like so heavy heavy power issues and like uh, understanding of how you own everything mm -hmm. uh, so I really really wanted to take this out also because it, it's it's very crucial part of our world or like very nasty part of our world which you are facing pretty much now yes yeah. exactly unfortunately. and unfortunately yeah and uh, I see it also in the, the theater spaces because I've been always like allergic to, I would say, traditional theater codes uh, of how me as an audience, I feel there, how I need to be seated, how I safe don't... Safe, exactly, mm -hmm. or like when is it okay to laugh, when it is not. Uh, so I wanted to, to bring this sort of like a strong actually, contrast with the, the first part where there you have this freedom actually mm -hmm. and it's always a changing and then like woof, we are now really trapped you are now sitting here watching me you cannot do anything else you cannot think anything else you even need to sing happy birthday to me so yeah so from from there i i guess the inspiration came from and as the scene also follows what's happening with the character it's eating himself it's like uh, to really to, to really bring this thought like oh yeah uh, I think it was in the program text also that it's a raw meat that is programmed to consume mm -hmm. very nasty image yeah I'm mm -hmm. Im immediately thinking about like a raw chopped down chicken who is like constantly like consumes, consumes, like everything. So, um, so yeah, this, how this sort of like uh, Führer only ends up just beating himself up, tearing his intestines up to have like this fucking awesome birthday party for themselves. For what, you know, you're still there alone, lingering mm -hmm. around. And, and 
I guess all the materials of the, the second part, it is some sort of toxicity of our world, like plastic. You know, you, I always love this moment if the fingers appear at first something very holy or like, what is this thing? Like something robotic, something interesting, very unknown until they start to break. You see, it's fucking sheep plastic, Red Bull. Like the most nastiest sugar drink that you, we are all consuming, or I actually haven't, I have never tried Red Bull in my life. So that's why I also want to bring and as a symbol also this Red Bull. Like uh, I was imagining this red masculinity or like yeah, I don't know. The red uh, Bull, the meaning of the, of yeah. the name. So the flies. Uh, before I'm starting to perform it, I have a, like this whole journey and a ritual with the flies. I'm collaborating together with this fly scientist. Her name is Silla Holm, the fly mother, who is who is growing them in the lab. So they are really lab actually flies. I am spending usually two days with them in the, the space because the idea is that the flies are being born in the space and as their lifetime is like two, three days, they also die in, in the same space. Important fact, the walls are made out of flour and water uh, that creates like the sort of like the, the substance of a, a glue. So there are just these layers of papers on top of each other, covered with the, the flour and water. This so it's is, like a dough, more than a like, glue. Yeah, more like a dough, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the favorite food of flies. And inside the walls there are also these small holes and corners where they always go, because they feel always cozy there, they, they like this environment. So I really wanted to create like the perfect environment for them. For Yes, for them. And as they, they also like more yeah, moisty and dirty spaces. So it's really for them, <laughs> like rather than for me. I rather take myself as I'm this choreographer who is trapped here. Yeah. Like a visitor or? A... Like a visitor, yeah. Mm -hmm. But who has, Connection. in like the fictional way of speaking, as I've been like trapped there like 300 years. But, but this is the the environment, and it's made for them. It's not made for for human needs, you know, because human body doesn't feel comfortable there. It's quite wet and cold, and I don't know, nasty. You turn into a peak, not at one point. Uh, so where were ah uh, the the flies? The flies, yes. So basically, uh, already if I'm starting to perform the work. I'm doing a meditation for, where for one hour I'm just moving together with the flies. I'm observing the fly movements and my body in relation to them. Really often, it always happens, flies are also coming on my body. And it is like in, in, it is in, in a strange way uh, very powerful feeling to be connected with them and to also in the sense have this sort of feeling of togetherness 
with some sort of strange multiple body uh, that if I know I'm not moving here alone, I have this multi-organism that I'm being constantly influenced by and they are being influenced also, also by me. Mm. So in the sense it was definitely different for the first time to perform it without the flies because as I was transporting them from Estonia to Iceland, uh, I think the transportation was a bit heavy for them, so they started to postpone their birth. Mm. There was two flies actually being born in my apartment, but but when I was taking them to the, the theater, apparently it was too cold, so they didn't want to come out. Aww. Yeah. So, but I don't know what's. But I had them still in the space, like uh, as they it are. Maybe good uh, to say that they are not invasive species. They are so not invasive species. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. That's why they were they were allowed. <laughs> they were allowed to come here. <laughs> to come well. here. To come yeah. here. So what are you gonna do with them now? So now. You have them in the plastic box. I have them in in a plastic box. I These will corpses. go and <laughs> corpses. Yeah, two hundred tiny little corpses. I think it's important to also say that. In the very first performances, the first maybe seven performances, as I was observing them being born one by one, I named them all. So I have like this fly book in my home where I'm like taking photos of each individual fly and also putting a name on them. You should take it over <coughs> and do an exhibition of all of that over here. But it's wonderful, bummer. absolutely, yeah. But for now, uh, I will go to have a hike in my last race days here in Iceland uh, to the, I think I'm going to east side, yeah. And I will have a small ceremony for them and I, I will bury them uh, into the crowns of Iceland because it's also actually best for them to get, to, to get yeah, frozen. It's like a peaceful way to die for them. Yeah. And you're gonna make some video out from that or yes. something? So you can then will... maybe connect it to the podcast so people Wonderful. can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I will put some some music on and I will do a small ritual. Yeah. 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 So we just uh, listened to the interview with you and Johan. It's very insightful and very um, genuine and just like I'm so happy we were able to have this conversation with him to 
let both me and the listeners into kind of his world and also your prior experience with performing. And after the conversation, you heard a field recording made by Tera from Nati Nuganen's performance, The Myth, Last Day, that was performed twice during the festival days. Um, and we, like, as an, I can imagine as a listener, you feel like it's a guitar solo or something. And although this setup has, like, an impressive martial cabinet stack, like, uh, it was not a guitar solo. It's actually a found object, I guess, that Nati found. Mm -hmm. And she's actually singing or, like, yeah. Can yeah. you tell us a bit more about yeah, it? I don't really... Because that it, it was at the really, really beginning. So it was, uh, she, um, yeah, when we entered the, the big hall, the main hall of uh, Reykjavik Art Museum, that is just like, uh, it seems like uh, just some dry clay, concrete, just some wood, just a really desertish feeling of, of the stage. But after a little while we discovered there is a, a real human being or a being or a life creature just covered under the layers and she appears and then she goes as like um you can maybe call it archaeologist mm -hmm. to discover the other buried objects under the material and this is one of the of the objects i don't remember what exactly that was that's a bummer there's like a children's, Button. like children's speakerphone system. Was it this one? She was mm -hmm. playing on that and like... Um, Just singing into a singing mic. Singing into the mic, yeah. So that was the tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And she's using them mm -hmm. through the whole performance mm -hmm. to actually tape the the description of, of the objects mm -hmm. which she has found and to keep it for herself or for whoever who would like to listen later and yeah yeah i think as we already said in the introduction we're just kind of bringing audiences giving audiences like a glimpse yeah like a little little taste for what yeah. it actually is playing with <laughs> yeah. the podcast format mm -hmm. yeah but it was just like Exactly in this um, in this concept, it was really interesting because she was really um, short in her descriptions and not really personal to the objects. She was really kind of rediscovering it, and uh, um, and I was yeah, as I said before, it was kind of detached and super interesting just to maybe close the eyes for a little while and mm -hmm. to build the image of the object just by on its mm -hmm. on that description or to see the object which much more relate to one's personal memory mm -hmm. so i think there was a lot of, of the private space for uh, mm -hmm. the audience to create their own memory map mm -hmm. of the world they are related to mm -hmm. and just actually the language was uh, because she was uh, kind of also redefining a human body she was naked and mm -hmm. she was just like uh, she had only the wire over mm -hmm. her body 
it was kind of deforming mm-hmm. and had these big black boots and um, the spoken, spoken language was actually the only let's call it human thing mm-hmm. the one which is more certain more specific mm-hmm. even though it was short we could really relate to that but at the end because the end of the performance turns into a gloomy metal concert mm-hmm. she even starts to uh, redefine uh, the language itself because she's a lot of she does a lot of spelling mm-hmm. and she divides the words in just the letters so then it's also became just the object mm-hmm. build up it's just a single single letters so mm-hmm. I, I like that concept a lot because it was big time intellectual and uh, mm-hmm. it was really I think going straight to the point of uh, some cultural myth or cultural identity mm-hmm. we have and we tend to build up as a humans mm-hmm. and also having like strong um, references to you know the fall <laughs> of civilizations and mm-hmm. also like you know us as I, I'm just referencing the bigger picture and being both the archaeologist but also the thing that's excavated like isn't that like the word like because in the performance he uses tools of archaeologists like you know these brushes and little pick um like these little shovels to like excavate from basically the set design both herself and then other things an egg you know uh mm. denim trousers herself this children's tape recorder that she then uses in the role of the archaeologist discerning what she's excavated herself and I guess it's like it's both personal but also kind of like colonial in a way just like thinking yeah. about the things and she talks about it in the interview like that it's actually like a buried casino mm-hmm. which I found like super interesting because just of what the casino represents itself Mm-hmm. It's not a really like a natural human world. It's something we really build up, uh, just um, not even for fun. It's just this uh, money behind mm-hmm. that, the really, really dark side of the human nature, mm-hmm. which is uh, deeply drowning the world through bad things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think this, I found it really interesting when she mentioned casino, that uh, because she found these chips there also. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, if one if people will have a chance to see the performance, it's maybe if you know it in advance, it will give you <laughs> even like a better dive into the topic because then it definitely I would love to see it again with knowing this is like casino. It probably also changes the whole then mm-hmm. the personal perception of the of the performance itself. Yeah, but it's also then in dialogue with exhibitions that will be open <coughs> for a month now um like the exhibitions are a bit more light hearted in a way while the performances kind of capture the dark side of the reality of the human you know the reality of what we are as like a race like while the exhibitions capture this more light hearted sense of you know, the utopia of what we could be if we would just, like, tune in a bit more. 
but that I s find also like uh, really smart. The name uh, of or the title of the festival uh, can't see mm -hmm. because it's also not the things which are obviously hidden, but also this. And I think people. And sorry if I generalize, or it's, I don't mean it like a judgment. It's just um, some thoughts that we, even though we see, we cannot see because we just tend to be blind because we mm -hmm. just ignore or we don't want to see. Mm -hmm. So, and I think especially the performances were really taking some things on the light and mm -hmm. really facing it. So, mm -hmm. and it was really obvi obvious that like uh, there is no can't see moment now. Mm -hmm. You just have to just watch and just mm -hmm. take it honestly and find in yourself how you relate to this darkness. Yeah, totally. So I guess we should just like dive into your conversation with Natty now. And um, yeah, I will maybe say we met in Mokka Coffee, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful old iconic place, place yeah, without Wi-Fi yes, in Reykjavik. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you can hear it sometimes around, so enjoy it even more. Yeah. Hope you enjoy the conversation Tera had with Natty Nuganen about the performance. Okay, so yeah, let's let's go straight maybe to the performances which we have seen here on the on the sequences. I would say, like from from my point of view, I really what I loved on it. It was this absolute like deconstruction, not only of the human body but also the memories. And I felt really like you like spread apart humanity or the human culture existence like on the ground, and it gave me so much like mm, so much space to create my own personal perception out of these used fragments. Mm -hmm. And the only things, thing which was for me, like kind of this really human thing was the language, the words, yeah. Yeah. which were really like communicating in a certain way. But even that at the end fell apart in the letters. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. we were really like spelling and this like this, uh, Metal is really raw and super honest thing, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really, but also for me, always found the metal culture in some way really fragile because I know these people are so nice and so full of light, you know. And so for me, it was really like this deconstruction uh, also through these objects, which I would like to ask you about why you picked up this certain objects like some lost archetypes which were kind of losing meaning when you took it out from the ground where they were like laying as a memory and creating some memory altogether but when you put them separate they kind of lost its meaning i felt so much like a loneliness in it uh -huh. so um yeah it's just like really briefly to say my perception to yeah. do some guiding yeah yeah it's nice to hear what you're saying yeah i think the objects came to be yeah i was trying this a little bit that uh, that the objects would be recognizable so sort of everyday but also you know when you say a bottle you you have different types of bottle coming to your mind so because we have seen so many different bottles in our lives mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's not like so concrete of an object it's it's it works more as an idea or a concept mm -hmm. rather than a very very specific 
detailed yeah object but that's the that's the, that's exactly the trap of the language for yeah me. yeah because from my own experience with my daughter as she is bilingual so for her the object is the object it's not a cup for example mm -hmm. or glass or mm -hmm. because that's just just the name mm -hmm. but for us as a humans it has this meaning that we specify or just like how to say it um, hold or touch the things through the words and that was so for me that you were really like present then it was such a contrast with how you behaved and how you were naming it it was like uh -huh. two separate layers and then leaving the message and taping it it yeah. was for me like really i would be i was just curious like what will be my imagination when i just hear the performance and then I just ah. see it without the words. Do you know? Ah, what I mean? interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I stepped yeah, in your I can, talking uh, because it's so inspiring. What you no, said. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no, I can, I can relate to that. I think I have never consciously thought of this uh, two sort of almost styles or narratives, which would be the verbal explanation of the objects, which is pretty dry. I keep mm -hmm. it pretty dry, and and the maybe physical reaction to what I find which is a bit more uh, maybe, uh, it has a bit more colors and mm -hmm. a bit more uh, character and nuance. And also there I add sort of intuitive improvisational moments, but in the words, I, I keep it pretty dry. So I think that's what you mean, that there's mm -hmm. sort of like different ways of communication or reaction or, or approach to mm -hmm. the objects mm -hmm. or what's going mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. I think that's nice. I mean, when you're talking about the language, I am also like, I, I, was had, I had this thought uh, once that, for example, when you, when you name an object, how has it changed what people think, uh, how can I say, like years ago when somebody would say a bread, a certain type of loaf of bread would maybe come to mind to a lot of people. Because maybe a certain bakery only does next to their door, you know, like uh, next door a certain type of bread. So everybody think of the same bread. And nowadays how things have broadened, also the sense of like, I mean, everybody has a different bread in mind when you mm -hmm. say bread. Mm -hmm. So how the language also changes in time and the signif uh, signifiers mm -hmm. sort of, or the images that you get in your head and how that can change in time and... Yeah, so that was an interesting thought that I once had, and I started thinking like, uh, can there be a study in some way made? <laughs> mm -hmm. What are the what are the sort of uh, associations that one gets with a certain word, and how it has changed? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the spread example, or exactly. <laughs> this is this was big time uh, for me, yeah. the performance, because and of course, what does this feeling for me? It's this that you are taping it. Mm -hmm. Because then when you go through these archaeological moments and discovering the past that you're going deeper and deeper in the layers of which you yourself are a part at mm -hmm. the very beginning of mm -hmm. the show. So mm -hmm. you're also one of these objects somehow. Yeah. So, uh, and you're naked and your body is really like deconstructed itself, you know, with the wire around and your movements. It is like post-human for me, like mm -hmm. a creature. With this dark ghost, like for me, representing more this like a belonging to the humanity, oh, okay. somehow, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you talk to him, you relate to him, and this relationship for me creates the humanity. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like social, yeah. mm -hmm. it becomes social. But then this recording, I was thinking like when she once passed away herself, 
the recording will stay. Yeah. That will be another like a message for the people. And then we are getting to this what you said. Because somebody gonna find the tape yeah. and you will be describing it. And what will be the imagination? Yeah, 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 yeah. Find that comes to what you said, yeah, like yeah. if to see the mm -hmm. or if to hear the performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's exactly. Say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there is some certain. Uh, it touches a little bit to the idea of documentation. I didn't go there that much, but it's also another topic that really interests me in some ways. Like, yeah, the idea of documentation mm -hmm. and and different ways of documenting. And I was also listening to your songs mm -hmm. you do. So I'm really curious about your work with the language and the music mm -hmm. and the body. Like mm -hmm. how how this. What's your body of work in this like uh, in these mm -hmm. elements you work with? How, how you feel it or like um, because you done theater as well right and choreography you do music yeah. hard to say uh, uh, can you ask again like what would be the relation I mean or? like uh, how you work with these elements you know uh -huh, like uh -huh. what is for example for you uh -huh. the leader like yeah I'm a poet yeah. and I accompany it with the music uh -huh. or what's the levels in your work like uh... ah okay yeah I see what you mean so I think I think that is uh, dynamic sort of depending on the context so if I if I'm working on a stage piece then uh, then I think the performativity physicality and language are pretty dominant and uh, the rest sort of accompanies I would say usually <laughs> If I work in the video format, then often, I mean, the camera is very present and the camera becomes a thing and maybe sound a bit more. So it depends a bit on the medium and the context. If, if I work in a museum space, it's also different. If I, if I really make tracks, like music tracks, then obviously the musical composition is on the foreground and the rest sort of follows as, as needed to accompany the, the idea. So this I like to keep quite dynamic actually and, and, uh, and use the set of tools according to what I'm producing at that moment, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that this, this, uh, this dy dynam dynamics in the mediums also and the changes is, is something that keeps me busy actually also as an artist, so not, uh, not to decide for good what would be my main mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. so each of the elements also like the wider the perspective of using the other element I and mean, yeah. the language spoken language yeah it's like uh, then through that you get inspired to your movements for example yeah. or your body yeah. vocabulary yeah totally like totally. abstraction of the symbols or like the yeah the arts. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. totally mm -hmm. and i think a deconstruction a certain type of deconstruction is is a method that mm -hmm. i use often yeah. okay yeah yeah mm -hmm. so i think i am interested in uh, stories and narratives but my tendency is to mess it up before constructing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so deconstructing uh, is like a method to build new ways of um, telling stories or perceiving. Maybe I'm actually more interested in perceiving than telling. But uh -huh. I think uh -huh. the way to find new way of, ways of perceiving is to create new ways of telling. You know what I mean? Like my, I feel like my main motivation is to broaden ways of how to look at the world, not how to act in the world. But in order to do that, I feel like as an artist, my tool is to act. Mm -hmm. And then that would maybe create new ways of perception. So, yeah. So the communication with the audience, like the live performances, it's yeah. more for you than, for example, to record 
a record or like album uh, or uh oh yeah i think yeah there is something a bit more uh exciting for me the, in in the live element mm -hmm. yeah i think that's why i haven't gone to music that much uh decided that okay i really want to do an album or i really want to do so if i make music i always somehow imagine how i would perform it also yeah mm -hmm. so the live element is somehow on an important uh, level yeah yeah. And do you have it like a big time part of your performances then? Or you really structure it and like rehearsal it and then you present it? Uh, you mean uh, like for example, is or there room for improvisation? Mm -hmm. From improvisation yeah, yeah, yeah. or the, like a raw dialogue, it doesn't mean, don't mean the spoken one. Yeah. But this creation with the space and audience, yeah. like what we experienced in yeah. this uh, performances we have seen just yeah. here. I'm gonna just tell it loud for the people who haven't seen it, because it was in a big main hall of Hapnar uh, Husit, the gallery of the city Reykjavik, and there was the the weather, the wind, the rain, water, ongoing plan, plane was really present, so it's really communicated through the performance. So, yeah, just to keep it clear for the people, and I'm sorry, then you can... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's good you, you said that, because I felt for sure... I mean, I've played this show usually in a theatre space, sort of strictly theatre, <laughs> and uh, here, when I was playing it, I felt I'm more of an exhibit than uh, an actor on stage. And I think in the first day, I was sort of figuring it out. So, uh, yeah, and by the second show, I was already, I took a more like a direct sort of a choice that I will, I will try to do it more as I am an exhibit. Yeah, myself as an exhibit more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was interesting. I think that made me relate to the space a bit more different and actively, because the space was active, mm -hmm. which felt also like a luxury, honestly, because when can you do a show like this when you can actually hear the wind, you can actually hear the water? It's very really immersive. It was immersive, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that's why I'm saying it felt like a luxury, because, yeah, I mean, in a theater space, all you try is to, to close the windows, let's make it, you know, dark, blah, blah, blah. So it was. It felt really nice to do it in a space like that. And in terms of improvisation, I think, I mean, simply saying, it, this this piece is pretty set. Uh, but I, I, I of course feel like I'm improvising a lot with these very small nuances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's very, I mean, that's arguable because when you would look at the show twice, you would see the structure is pretty st uh, strict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I feel like the more strict it is, the more I, I also find loopholes where where I am keeping a certain pause longer and seeing what that does, you know, like these kind of improvisational mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, sort of changes come in in this structure. But I think recently I have become more interested in improvisation, strictly speaking, in improvisation. So I think for further projects I'm looking into... Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just rethinking what, how a work process could be, you know? Like how much should we actually spend time in the rehearsal space? How much should we plan before? How much should we just set conditions? Uh, yeah, and I, I am, I'm tempted to go towards more improvisational um, formats, I think. 
uh, it's something that was really popular at one point, then it became a bit cringe, but now I feel maybe it's time to bring it back a little bit, all this improvisation. Because uh, I was thinking also maybe it's just like saving resources, you know? Mm-hmm. If, you don't, uh, if you don't book the studio for a couple of months and just actually just uh, plan it, set the conditions and go there and do it mm-hmm. more in an improvisational way, maybe it's also... Yeah, it just saves resources. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's somehow really like a logical maybe feeling or like some intuition because I think these times lately are so quick that sometimes, and now I will also, of course, like over, like make it bigger than it is, but um, when you start to think about that, some project, and you have like, a, for example, a year in front of you to develop it, rehearsal it, yeah. write it down, get the grants, da, 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 da. Yeah. it kind of gets pretty old in that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. when you improvise, you can be really quick in yeah. your reactions and really like capture the moments. Updating. Really updated. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. No, I have this problem for sure. Like I, <laughs> I always need to update. Like even with this show, it has been sometimes hard to do the same structure. It's challenging, but I'm also not like that's more my style to make things very structured and set actually Mm -hmm. but now as I've noticed that it actually also goes a bit against my nature because I'm I'm always want to change I always want to update then I think it's time to try something a bit more improvisational or find a way how this could be incorporated within a structure or something like this I think it's uh, actually it's an interesting method this improvisation and I mean the more you have uh, I don't know the more you've done this kind of stuff the more you know also what you need in order to create the good uh, sort of conditions to, yeah. for something nice to happen also out of the improvisation. But if I will talk about myself, sorry for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like from my own experience, like when I was doing the stage monologues, yeah. I, and I did it for, for example, years, I really liked how we had always the... Uh, the possibility of really update the things that yeah. this is what I love on the theater yeah. like it's so alive so even though it's like rehearsal or something you can always go for a change especially when you are just on your own of course when it's like a group of people it's more yeah. tough yeah because not always you are on a super super same level but then when you're on your own even during the really ongoing performance at the moment, you can just change it. Yeah. Or you're just free in like, uh, yeah. in, in uh, the updating the thing, yeah. and developing yeah. it so yeah. with the audience in the moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's really, really interesting. And the more I do it, the more I like when things go wrong, you know, when something happens. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so just finding some kind of balance, like, or, or seeing how far is too loose <laughs> and how far is too structured, you know, this kind of... No, I have it, like, myself as a inspiration in a life or something, that sometimes I feel like I'm sabotaging my myself mm. because I'm always looking for some kind of a failure or mistake or something because that keeps me creative. Yeah. And it's painful, you know? You yeah. have nothing yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> granted and safe and cozy, and but it's going out of the routine and uh, it's... For me, it's pretty much, it keeps me alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was just thinking, um, if you can go maybe deeper in the myth you have created in the performance. Yeah, I mean, I think I get this question a lot, like, is there, is there a, sort of a place or a story where all these objects exist or have existed at the same time and this 
the person who comes out from the ground in the beginning, which I do. Uh, are the are the objects? Do they do they belong to them, or what is the story? But I have to say, I never actually created a narrative behind that, and that's maybe part of what keeps it for me improvisational and uh, and sort of uh, unstructured. That I think I create a new story each time a little bit. <laughs> I mean, the clear thing is that I, every time I imagine there was a casino and a casino dealer. Something fucked up, and and things got wrong, and now mm-hmm. this 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 casino has, has stayed there under this uh, bunch of sand. Sometimes I feel it was a natural catastrophe that happened. Sometimes I feel it's just time that happened. Uh, yeah, so it depends really on the evening. I would say, like, what what would be the story that is really behind there? Yeah, I, I didn't want to really, or I didn't find it fun mm-hmm. to fix it for myself actually. What about a creature who is there with you? Yeah, that's uh, that's also changes sort of every time. I also didn't want to choose that actually, or make a decision. It it sounded or it uh, it felt uh, it took the fun element out when I started really defining who this creature is. But uh, it's, I mean, initially. I was really interested in adding somebody to the score who just fucks up my structure a little bit because my, again, talking about their improvisation and structure, set structure, uh, I felt things became a little bit uh, set also with my dialogues, my way of performing and then I felt like oh, I need somebody who just pulls the carpet out of my feet, you know, that that's somebody who who is a bit... Uh, more like an intuitive, uh, chaotic um, element in the space. And then I asked uh, Jochen, and then he was interested in, in, in joining the process, and I, I trust his intuition, really. I mean, he 120%, and I tell him to just do whatever the fuck he wants in the space. He can just... Uh, he, he has now also a structure, actually, I have to say. In the beginning, he was trying out a bit more different styles of engagement. But, uh, yeah, and, and in the beginning, I didn't even really know what he was doing around there. So, initially, it was the idea of uh, bringing in a voice of either judgment or critique or self-doubt in the space. So when I am explaining what I find, it's pretty confident the way I do it. So um, I like to have a sort of second voice there who, who doubts everything I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, these coffee beans, they are, I can tell, they're from Brazil, you know, like, how, how do you know? <laughs> so all these kind of things that I sort of present in a very confident way, I like that there's, there's a voice or, or a presence that sort of puts it under doubt or under critique because I think that's what that's how myths sort of act mm-hmm. you, know, you know when the myths are created or come to be they are often they serve a certain ideology or they they, they serve to bring people together to think in a certain way basically and and that can be a trap to to you know um, lose a sense of critique or a second voice of like wait why are we creating this narrative or why does it yeah what does it serve what purpose does it serve you know this kind of uh, mm-hmm. so the the who who tells the story basically mm-hmm. and what what uh, what it does to the people who listen you know and uh, yeah it's, so i was i was struggling with that idea mm-hmm. it, yeah mm-hmm. and i mean it it can be the person whose objects they really are <laughs> Uh, or it can be somebody who I imagine, actually, and I am a little bit, I'm just, I don't know, 
imagining uh, other presences in the in the space. Yeah, so it also changes evening by evening. Yeah, but also this is what I really like on that. It was really like the surreal poetry. Like um, it really gave me so much space to create my own story behind yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was not dogmatic, but it was well structured. You know, it was not mm-hmm. like just some fluid things which just inspires you. And you yeah. know, it was really certain and really raw. And you knew what you want to say mm-hmm. but still there was like a huge space behind that uncertainty or like yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. for to have like a private moment as a as the spec as the one who is watching you know so nice. Uh, nice to i hear. really loved that you know yeah i was trying to actually create that a bit so it's nice to hear that you felt great because <laughs> i think that's what i really enjoy as a as a watcher when i'm when i'm in the theater or when i watch a performance that's what i really love i i I do like structure, but I also like when things are a bit unclear or could be interpreted in many ways or a bit haunty, you know, these kind of things. I, I like yeah, it also. Yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> thank Great. you so much.
so now we're back once more for the last time with me at least because after we introduced the next interview and kind of go over what we just listened to which was the uh, beginning of Teo Alaruna's performance um, Lacuna which is deeply personal to the artist but after we listened to the conversation with Teo you'll kind of take over the conclusion of the episode just telling us in the audience a little bit about Young Boy Dancing Group's uh, performance at the Reykjavik mm-hmm. Art Museum Harper House in the courtyard there that's huge um, but yeah we just listened to this intro song now with Teo who also performed in Tomarime which was like a totally different performance mm-hmm. than to Johan Rosenberg Johan bringing a lot of set, a lot of props, a lot of costume with them, him. Um, but then Theo being a bit more like bringing himself and his story mm-hmm. and his experience being trans and being a man in the this age and day and being like deeply personal with like his trauma and everything. Mm-hmm. I can't kind of imagine what, how the conversation went, like going into it. Maybe you can like enlighten us a little bit more because the piece is so intense in a way. And Theo talked about like being used to people walking out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's just the, the beginning is really raw and you go just straight into it because mm-hmm. you enter just really em- empty black box, people sitting around in some kind of like arena and there is just like a white chalk uh, circle draw mm-hmm. on the on the on the floor almost and referencing these like exorcisms or something yeah exactly it exactly looks like some ritual mm-hmm. or like a science mm-hmm. or session mm-hmm. and then he also like he works with this theater principle of stepping in and out which was really interesting it's for me this was more like a paradox with a, a johan's performance because he was really had this like a theater let's call it setup because he really build it up like an artificial world in there and this like minimalist scene uh was more i would say from performance artwork mm-hmm. but then at the end because Theo was much more working with the language and exactly stepping in and out to the let's say character or his other identity mm-hmm. so it was more through this commenting was more theater for me mm-hmm. but just li- really lightly meant you know not really theatrical but one of the like a modern mm-hmm. theater principles which yeah. are big time used lately mm-hmm. so yeah and at the beginning he just ritually step into the circle and music goes on and we meet him with such a strong expression of a silent scream mm-hmm. so you can see the expression of screaming but actually the, the scream the voice itself doesn't come out which you immediately feel this deep frustration and the uh, the feeling of non-ability or not possibility to express yourself honestly, even such a strong vibe or emotion, which scream is, because mm-hmm. we are not probably screaming just for a happy morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was immediately 
like that you step step into his world of frustration and obvious trauma, which uh, he is used to talk about, and he really, I think I could call it. I'm sorry if not, but uh, even like activist statement mm -hmm. that he's so open about that, that it really might help people with uh, struggling with their own identity, even. Mm -hmm. And body, uh, and a body, yeah, yeah and in, in whatever meaning. Mm -hmm. I don't mean it doesn't need to be trans. I think mm -hmm. most of us, at one time point in our lives, we deal with our body totally. and the, per the per personal perception of our body in whatever level it is. And each of us have to go on this long path of finding the relationship to our own bodies because that's the that's the material through which touch the world and mm -hmm. connect and relate and mm -hmm. are humans so let's yeah let's not go not go deep into that because it's of course like a huge question itself but uh, mm -hmm. as he was saying that he as i was saying before that uh, he and natty are just ta dealing with the memory and he has this like um, somatic fiction technique mm -hmm. so i was just thinking on that like how the our memory works with the past in some little bit like a, how to say it, um, level which is not, we remember things differently than they really happen. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes memory let us forget, forgive, uh, uh, forgive, yes, also mm -hmm. forgive, but forget some events. And uh, that when he put it in the somatic uh, concept that it, he remember things and store it in his body, that also works really with this identity, that through the time and memories, you're really changing the perception of your own body. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and then he talks about that himself just super nicely because he is extremely smart and extremely intellectual. Mm -hmm. So he put it, uh, put it out like beautifully, so I will not yeah. say it because I'm not that good. <laughs> Yo. No, I yeah. I think I agree like also just with like even though it's of of course um talking about body dysmorphia, eating disorders and and all of these th things. I think definitely it is like, you know, I think we can all you know, we can all correlate mm -hmm. with just like remembering seeing yourself in the mirror when you were younger and thinking about that person, whoever you are today, like, and disassociating with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, also because we all grow, like, our bodies change, all of our bodies change, and all of our, all of us mm -hmm. grow in different ways. And yeah. I think also just, like, I think all of us kind of disassociate. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. also we... I was inspired by those thoughts mm -hmm. that the way how he talks about it, it's really that we all kind of have this performative moment mm -hmm. with our own body totally. because we are, as humans, we are used to, um, we are identified through relationships mm -hmm. and not just like a love relationships or family relationships, but we relate to things. And uh, so through finding some self-identity or even non-identity mm -hmm. and uh, experiencing the world through the body. Mm -hmm. It's big time performative moment mm -hmm. because it's so alive. 
mm-hmm. and it's creative and it's not passive. Mm-hmm. So and it's full of relationship because mm-hmm. yeah. And know. it's reactive yeah, as well. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So now we'll dive into the conversation you had with Theo. Um and then we'll play a little bit more from kind of the final scene of the performance just to let people a bit deeper into kind of this the intensi- intensity of it and the rawness of it, of it as well. One thing that um, what was beautiful on that performance was that it was really fragile and uh, Theo was like deeply seeking for intimacy and a relationship with the audience and he let people touch himself and really connect so yeah it's um yeah just wanted to say that because it was we talk about that also in the interview mm-hmm. and it was beautiful beautiful moment uh we could that he really invited us in his mm-hmm. close to his soul or in heart mm-hmm. and and it was that, that was beautiful because and it's important I, to yeah. talk about because like talking about you know like i think the performance is definitely labeled as body horror or like touching on scenes like that are like touching on concepts of demons and but then again also in the performance uh, Theo captures definitely a sense of vulnerability as well Mm -hmm. even though it's intense there are these intensely serene moments and softness that Theo lets people in stroking his back telling him he's an angel that are like insanely like welcoming and approaching and yeah it's important to talk about that before diving into the conversation mm-hmm. definitely so where where did you record it with Theo? We were actually in Tomarimet. Okay so cool. So it was it was magical itself because yeah. we were just sitting next to the place mm-hmm. where he gonna perform again it was uh, after the first performance before the Second one, and he takes it uh, very seriously. And through that, one can really see how personal the performance for him is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of magical in that. Like, uh, he was like, we have to be done before five because then I just have to focus. And mm-hmm. So, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's also quite poetic because Tomarim in Icelandic means empty space or void. And Theo himself references in the performance the void yeah, within. Yeah, he even mentioned it. Like he, he really names it. Mm-hmm. The white. Yeah. So please enjoy the conversation and hang on, hang on for a moment because we'll play the final, like one of the final scenes from Theo's performance, Lacuna, and then you'll hear the segment artwork of the month where Tara will tell us a little bit more about Young Boy Dancing Group's performance um, at the Reykjavik Art Museum at the festival. Thank you. Thank you. 
You can start maybe straight with the with the name of the performance, Lacuna. Yeah. To talk about it. Yeah, what does it mean? So it means Lacuna means a a gap or an empty space between something. I kind of consider it to be um, uh, that it refers to something that is taken out or that there there is a context of things and then in the middle something is kind of missing and something is not there what for example used to be there or was supposed to be there i think it's like used often in like for example referring to historical texts mm -hmm. like for example like in a some text some word is missing and then and then uh, you wouldn't know that what it was supposed to be and mm -hmm. then that's called lacuna um yeah and is there do you think <clears throat> Also, possibility to think like that about your body. Yeah, for sure. I think. I mean, um, or not your one body. I mean, I think like it. like human body in general. I think somehow, like I guess, like we um, all might have different experiences of our bodies, but but mostly there are like um, yeah, I guess like both psychologically or even physically parts where you feel that something is missing or something is not there or mm -hmm. something was there but it's not there anymore or, yeah yeah mm. yeah i really like this term you're using in your cv the somatic fiction mm. so um was really curious in your work how is the dialogue with your body and how you how it how you communicate through your body the stories as a part of inspiration Mm. What still was the sources and yeah. Mm. Like what are the what are the sources for that fiction? To yeah. Of? But compared, mm. like in um yeah with with the dialogue with your body, like mm. really like the body is as as I got it. Mm. It's like really the material from which to draw from. To draw mm. from. Yeah. Or is it? Can I say this way or yeah, am I wrong? Totally, totally. And I think like I always like I enjoy to listen to people telling how they have read, for example, a piece. Because I don't believe that there is like a one way to mm -hmm. read the piece. Like my initial thoughts might have been something and then an audience member experiences it in a totally different way. And that's like super inspiring and exciting for me always. Um so it's definitely okay for you to say that. Uh, yeah, I think, so, for me, I guess, uh, I would have, like, a lot to say about somatic fiction, or the term couple, but I guess maybe trying to just talk about Lacuna now. In that piece, I am definitely working with autobiographical material, in, like, when it comes to the text that I'm speaking on stage, but it also is, like, Kind of all the time twisted or or somehow morphed with fictional elements mm -hmm. 
which I like because it's also like it's also like exciting for me to hear when people are like oh like well like somehow like maybe like easily taking everything as a truth in mm-hmm. a way and then I like that possibility of art to like or autobiographical material to kind of I guess blur some like areas of like where when when something is so to say real and and when it's not I guess it stems partly from the fact that I am a trans person and I need to live with this corporeal um existence of mine and my body has been talked about and is all the time talked about in many concepts and words that are not real in my experience of my mm-hmm. own body. So I think the kind of initial excitement or kind of endless ins- inspiration that that I have for somatic fiction stems from that fact that I'm every day like facing different ways of like mm-hmm. I get like in some ways like mm-hmm. fictional fictional narratives about myself and my body which feel fictional for me and then the my experience of my body then again is not considered true or real or factual or biologically right mm-hmm. <laughs> in uh, some people's minds mm-hmm. so I think uh, I'm quite like excited to work around that whole area mm-hmm. of friction and I believe that uh, all it's not only about trans bodies it's about all bodies I mm-hmm. mean like that's why I for example in Laguna I don't use words around gender or queerness or anything mm-hmm. like that because I want to have that piece to somehow be open for for anyone no no matter mm-hmm. or like somehow open in a way that they that people can find ways to relate to it uh from their own whatever psychosomatic reality that they are coming to see it from um yeah but I, what i was saying is that i think that i guess i guess it's like yeah it's not uh exclusionary to trans people that the way mm-hmm. their bodies are being talked about and their existence is being like framed in words mm-hmm. or research that that would be the only people mm-hmm. who feel that it's not actually right in relation to how they are experiencing things like mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's really yeah i think and i say and i hope it won't be taken wrong like really really raw like performative moment mm. in the life itself mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. and i think um it's really interesting to i have to think that then later personally because uh yeah yeah doesn't matter mm. but i was just yeah this this lacuna we have seen it's really intimate and also you were talking about the intimacy of the space you were doing it here for the mm. very first time for such a tiny audience mm-hmm. um how is this experience because the ecology mm. of the performance it's really it's a body horror so in at some time point it's not comforting to watch mm. it or to mm. listen to it for the audience yeah but the way how you relate to the people it's so beautiful it's so tender and mm-hmm. it's really moving Thank it was you. i was really pretty pretty often close to start to cry not from sadness or something yeah, yeah. but from the, such a 
close and beautiful experience and the honesty of the of your performance. That's so lovely. So, uh, how 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 you feel this? How how was it? How you work with your audiences and uh, yeah. How how that how you think it through when you create like yeah. what that what is then the work because we know it's yeah. like performing arts we do something yeah. and rehearsals yeah. but then the life comes exactly. with the audience and with the dialogue and yeah. it's even changing during the times yeah 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 performance it's not yeah the same at the beginning so no thanks so much for saying well, that it really means a lot I mean like audience is everything for me I um um. An audience conduct is is really the like what really drives me and really like excites me because it always makes me like somehow like nervous but also just really deeply excited and I as an audience member also often um, get a lot from from performances where there is audience conduct. I'm not at all always needing it. Like it really depends obviously on the work as well. But I think it's like material that. It, I am really willing and wanting to work with often. Lacuna was made during COVID times. So uh, our working group was really alone with the material. So we didn't, and we also couldn't really have audiences with rehearsals and stuff. And I think like, it's actually, that tells a lot. Like, I think I was really missing people around me. And then um, it that's why Lacuna is like something like there are like things where I can definitely like um, and parts and choreographies and whatnot that I can like practice to some extent, but it always changes when the audience comes in and there's like a lot of things that happen only with the audience. And for example, yesterday happened totally like new stuff that never has happened with Lacuna. So, um, and especially exactly with audience and it was super that's why I think yesterday was such a um moving experience for myself um and I think that lacuna is really like a work that need yeah well it needs the audience like as all performances do in some ways but in order for me to be able to take it as far as I want to go with it I need the audience to be there and be with me and then I think I'm not saying I mean I'm not saying that uh, that the work wouldn't work if the audience wasn't engaged I could still do it but the experience would be just different mm -hmm. for me uh, internally um, and yeah I mean I, I just find it really exciting to always like try to negotiate this like how do I how do I encounter an audience member? How do they encounter me? And I love because there is this part also where I ask them to tell me that I'm an angel. Mm -hmm. And then I also love it. Like some people sometimes say like, no, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, it has happened like, I think two times. And I love that moment, you know, it's so ridiculous because I'm like, kind of just like begging for them. So it's like, can you say that I'm an angel? And then they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm just like, uh, okay, but uh, I, I mean, that's why I, that's also like really, because everyone's just human and we're just like meeting each other there. Um, yeah, so, so I also love it that people are like kind of like having their boundaries, like I'm not going to say this. And also people leave sometimes, of mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. hearing that mm -hmm. these are any case, but mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah. I might not like answering your question or what did you yeah, ask yeah, me? Yeah. Anyways, uh yeah, it's a it's a like in all my words I tend to want to mm-hmm. think and move with the audience a lot. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I really believe that performances are or can be transformational mm-hmm. in their ability to bring people together and and move people exactly together somehow because and that's why I think like yesterday what like yeah that's why I was kind of nervous about the fact that there was so to say little amount of people in the audience um, because often I feel that the more there is audience members the more they also have each other's back somehow mm-hmm. um, and somehow they are together there with each other and not only with me mm-hmm. um, but yeah I don't know if mm-hmm. this audience was very like one of the sweetest I've experienced they mm-hmm. were super present and super mm-hmm. um, engaged I felt so it didn't actually matter at all if it was so little amount of people. Yeah. You're working yeah. a lot in Latin now also with the memory. Yeah. And like spreading the life yeah. in that time. Yeah. Can you say more to to that? Because uh yeah. it's some part probably it's authentic memory, some yeah, are yeah. just fictional or pushed or metaphorically yeah. or symbolically yeah, uh, yeah. told, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, like, I always, usually if, if I'm interviewed about Lacuna, I like to um, quote the dramaturg Omni Barbonen, uh of the piece, because she said that she ex- feels that Lacuna is like a kaleidoscopic opening of the body, mm-hmm. and and one part to look into the body is through the memories. So what I am doing in the in the work is that I'm trying to kind of bring those memories like somehow like out from my body into the space and even like try to like paint them in front of me with my hand gestures and speaking mm-hmm. um and I think that is like the way of like because I think what I'm doing in the work is that I'm trying to empty out um something from my body in order for me to feel the um in order for me to make space for myself for the audience to come inside me mm-hmm. so that's the kind of like what i'm like i guess like psychosomatically like working there with and the memories i feel that the memories that i'm speaking about some of them are exactly those that kind of keep on hmm, keep on haunting me. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to like by by speaking, I'm trying to like push them out, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that like yeah, that's also my one of my questions when you're there. This is speaking. Because mm-hmm. we have the body language and then we have the or the body vocabulary more than the language, I mm-hmm. would say. And the body expression and then the the language. Mm-hmm which is always more certain mm. or more concrete. Mm. 
how you work with that, like uh, accompanying this, like kind of for me always more abstract and intuitive, which I uh, that it's connected to the body vocabulary mm. of yeah. people, and then there's really like a certain symbols of the spoken language. Like how do I work with the combination mm-hmm. of those? Yeah, I mean bringing text on stage is something that is like super dear to me, like some like a like a um practice that I somehow take really seriously mm-hmm. and I love it. But I lo- like I'm always when I'm starting to work with a text towards stage, I tend to ask the text a lot of questions. That what does it what am I trying to say what the text is trying to say. So what is the way that the text needs to be brought on stage in order for it to be how it wants to be? And sometimes, and sometimes the body, the, the body language or the scores that I'm working with, with my body are exactly trying to like, trying to, I guess, like, um, facilitate the text mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, but then in Lacuna, there's also other ways. I think how we work with the text. So, for example, Duca Habakorti, who's done the um, composition and the sound design, but also who has uh, provided some of the texts or like written the texts with me to the piece. Like so, with Duca, we've been working also a lot with the with how the sound design and like you know, I guess mm-hmm. space for the text be on stage in the right kind of way. Um, am I answering now your question? Um, yeah, it was like how yeah. you work with that. Like you yeah. like you once said, like you embody the text. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah. Just exactly. So like there has oh. been like a lot like I think like I've, and I think it's still like Every time I'm trying, like every time I am finding like new ways for the text to come out from my body, somehow like I might surprise myself also during the piece that oh, mm-hmm. like now it came out like in that way, and I love it because text has a lot of like range to it. I think as a performative element, and I have a hate-love relationship with range on stage, and that's why I kind of tend to work with it. Like um, there is a colleague of mine. Anni who has said that always where there's if there's something that some material that kind of arise arouses shame mm-hmm. in their body, they tend to go towards that. And I think that's quite exciting. Like and I think that I am intuitively doing that mm-hmm. often in my works. That I'm kind of feeling like, oh my god, this is a bit maybe this is a bit too much or maybe this is a bit like embarrassing something. And then that's exactly where I then tend to go. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I I work with disharmony, and I believe that bodies are mm-hmm. places of disharmony, and I'm trying to find belonging. I'm trying to understand my mm-hmm. body's disharmony as a place mm-hmm. of belonging. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that range and embarrassment, for example, mm-hmm. are es- like especially like moments mm-hmm. when when you're working with like uncomfortable disharmony. In some ways, so yeah, and I think the text mm-hmm. often has like, like to witness someone deliver a text on stage can be like, because it can be like so virtuosic and so beautiful and so kind of like, 
easy and then suddenly it's like oh my god but that felt a bit cringe and i love and i yeah. love that um um quality of text mm-hmm. on stage because i also need to work through it every time myself on stage like sometimes i might end up mm-hmm. cringing at myself and i'm like fuck i still need to just mm-hmm. keep on going <laughs> so it's is that like uh maybe i'm getting it wrong but might that be that connection to your body is lesser feeling embarrassing than the things you might be saying it's also as the narrative of the of the performance mm. you often like a i would say call it like stepping out from the part mm. you're like commenting it from outside right yeah and i really like that and that also create somehow this awkwardness because you're always showing us what is the game mm. and let's Theo here mm. and let's let's go back yeah and we will do this together right. okay you're gonna watch it and I'm gonna do and it's like yeah and I need to have a you know sip of water I was drooling a lot you know yeah. and like uh yeah was this um is this kind of a principle in your performances or is it like a lacuna special and and how did you create this like uh this double a brack brack moment if yeah, I yeah. call it you know that you're not creating like some specific character in which you start right. by the beginning and you leave it at the end right in constantly in this yeah. game like uh what yeah. is the and that also creates this fictional moment in it because then yeah. you're like what is then the truth and what is the fiction behind that you yeah. know and of course we are curious creatures so everybody is probably thinking the question like yeah what really was the truth and yeah, what yeah, is yeah. the fiction yeah. i think uh i think uh, it is actually like it's lacuna specific uh um style for sure like it's not necessarily in all my works um it's really i i think it really depends on on the on the piece that i'm working with and and exactly what kind of text am i creating for for each work and So, but I mean, like, I am working on sequels to Lacuna, mm-hmm. and I think like there, it already seems that it's gonna be like that. That there's this kind of like, um, zooming in, going somewhere, going in a state of something, bodily practice something, and then kind of zooming out, um, every once in a while. But not necessarily like, I don't consider it in Lacuna. I don't consider it to be like meta narrative. It's more like it's just flipping all the time. It's like this kind of um unreliable uh narrator type mm-hmm. of uh or unreliable story mm-hmm. overall, I guess. Which I like because I experience life and my body unreliable. <laughs> I think that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. We are going yeah. close to five, but the last <laughs> question. Uh, would you like to share what you're now maybe working on, or what's your like uh, next awkward moments you are <laughs> looking forward, or what's your plans? But you don't need to. I am at the moment. I'm. It's a nice, actually, like somehow nice autumn because I'm not producing a new work soon. So next new work will be next year uh, in November, uh, which will be a sequel to Lacuna. Mm-hmm. And there's also. Uh, some some same people in the working group also Sofia Palillo will be there uh, in that work who has made the light and special design for Lacuna um, 
and I hope that work can also be weird and awkward in some ways. Um, and then, yeah, now I'm uh, just mainly like touring with with old works. Mm-hmm. So next, I'm going to New York to perform a full uh, show and the zoo, which is um, a piece that came out this year, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about. Yeah, and then yeah, it's like what I was saying that it's a nice nice time <clears throat> at the moment or a nice kind of period for me when I can somehow just more like look back like what have I done there's still time for the new piece mm-hmm. to be developed and mm-hmm. somehow to let that those thoughts in, in mm-hmm. and also be inspired, uh, inspired by other people's works like that's what I really enjoy in these periods when when there's not like a new production coming up mm-hmm. immediately so that there is time for me to go see other people their poetics and their mm. um stages and how they how they work and somehow be i don't know <clears throat> just there's like space for mm-hmm. me to take in mm-hmm. other other art at the moment at the moment yeah but that's, that's really a big nice. big big time part of the creative process exactly. to take a break and uh, exactly yeah yes but are you teaching as well right yeah <clears throat> yeah i'm teaching as well a bit next week in theater academy in helsinki uh, teaching dancers, we're doing texts, mm-hmm. writing texts, and then staging them, and that's really exciting. I love to work with dancers, or like love to teach dancers, um, and and especially to work with text and mm-hmm. like how they embody text, how what's their way of like using their voice and their like vocalization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. So the artwork of the month, it's uh, actually a performance which was a closing performance of uh, 11th edition of Sequences Real-Time Art Festival in Reykjavik in 2023. And yeah, young boy dancing group inhabited huge hall of Reykjavik Arts Museum, keeping the space empty just with the running water or shopping chart. And uh, Icelandic mushrooms are hanging around and kind of minimalistic concept uh, in the space, just on the virus, which was kind of evoking the violent acts on enigmatic beings, which mushrooms, we can feel like that. And and was just in the back part of the hall was a dining table with white cloth and the boiling soup was kind of reminiscent of the old human world. But as it is, that we never know uh, what to expect when we sit around the table with the strangers. Uh, 
an audience, spectators or visitors, however we want to call us, who participated, are invited to um, live in the space with the dancing group or the performers. The crowd was creating some sort of like a human sculpture or unity, freedomly moving around the space while following the dancers. So the community was created very quickly and people find common body language easily, um, walking um, around and waking up the primal instincts of non-spoken communication. And dancers were moving around the whole space in and kind of like the non-classical theater principles were allowed. Uh, it was kind of something between the rave party or BDSM dark ritual and some kind of like a hangover melancholy. Performers have intensive psychophysical dialogue and their presence was absolute. Um, and they were like one. It created like a life, one body. Um, and sometimes it even felt like they are connected with some invisible strings or secret bonds or hunted religions. And my, my, one might feel to be a part of the session led by a forgotten gods or some mysterious power who has strong influence over the performance, performers themselves. It was trashy aesthetics in a contrast with the pureness of the whole white space. And it was creating raw visual arguments and in a, ending up with uh, hugs and kisses. Bodies have no normatives and there were no embarrassment. They wanted to be that close to each other that every entrance to the body has to be penetrated or fulfilled. Soundtrack was covering from Max Richter's Opus Sleep to Berlin Rave Scene, smoothly connecting the whole crowd um, together and into the same mood or same feeling. Violence, pain, but also enjoyment and love were losing their conventional meanings. Conflict was cooperation and pain was a pleasure. We all together were experiencing a community when one loses himself for the others. There were no politics, no leaders, and a touch was the only perceiving thing which was remaining. I would kind of say it was like the liberating was happening through becoming the object of play and self-sacrifice to love, to sex, as well like to violence and to the pain was really touching because it was more of a radical socialist statement than a fight for a power. And a climax uh, was happening by the table where people were invited to sit around eat the soup under the human candelabras, where hot wax was leaking on the white cloth, sometimes even to the soup, covering the bodies, mouth, vaginas, anuses. Ecstasy of the communal life was smooth and gentle, and at the end it doesn't seem like anybody wanted to leave. <laughs> 